from the slowly composting studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another rotten good episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. All those leaves clogging our gutters can only mean two things. One, it's time to get out the ladder. And two, it's compost making time. On today's show, we'll answer your most common questions about compost. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, potential guests are busy sucking up under their sugar maples. So we will take that heap and helping. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and greatly garrulous gasconade. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you making bodacious black gold right after this. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're getting so many questions about compost, we decided to pick three really good ones and do a questions of the week on it. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Robbie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Robbie. How you doing? I'm doing just fine, thank you. All right. And where is Robbie doing fine? Nashville, Tennessee. All right. One of our favorite places. Always nice to hear from one of our listeners there. What can we do you for? Well, I'm having a problem with a well-established lilac bush. Mm -hmm. I've noticed lately that the leaves have brown spots, and after a while the the brown spots seem to kind of spread or merge until Mm -hmm. the whole leaf is brown, and they get leathery, and then they fall off. Right. Um, Okay, so you say it's a well-established lilac. How did it bloom this past spring? Uh, Sparsely. Oh, okay. Um, Is it still in full sun, or has shade encroached on it? Um, It has some shade. Uh, It's in full sun in the early morning, and then uh, towards the afternoon, it gets kind of shaded by larger trees. Okay, and you're in Nashville, so that's a place where it would probably prefer to have full sun. Um, Is there anything planted close to it? Are there plantings around the base? No, no, it was just grass. Okay, and have you ever pruned it? Um, no, no, I haven't. Okay, well, um, I don't recommend pruning at this time of year. Uh, what's the stat? And when when it did bloom, even sporadically, were the leaves okay then? Yes, they were. Okay, so this was late in the season. Yes, that's right. And I'm guessing you had a lot of rain, just like we did. 
Yes, we did. Okay. So, um, and you said it's not crowded at the base or anything like that? No. No, it's got plenty of room. So what's on the tree now? Um, or have all the leaves dropped? Um, I have a few green ones, and the rest are just really brown. Okay. Um, and have the brown ones started to drop? Yes, okay. a few at a time. Okay. Um, basic things we can do here is clean up underneath the tree. Uh, so okay. just the brown leaves. I'm thinking this was just a case of a plant having wet feet and being stressed. Um, and I should also ask, in previous years, has it bloomed more profusely? No, it's always been kind of a, a puny uh, lilac bush. Huh. And, okay, that's, that's you know, I would, I would suggest that it's in the wrong place, but, you know, it would be difficult to impossible to move it now if it was very well established. Right. So, so I'm going to give you three things to do. One is clean up those brown leaves as they dry off. Okay. No, number two is go to your local garden center and get a bag of rock phosphate. Rock um, phosphate. Rock phosphate is a natural mined mineral that is probably the best bloom inducer out there. And if you apply it now, it'll have time to bond with the soil and perhaps release, you know, some of its phosphorus. But this is also something we're doing for the year after, especially when the rock phosphate will be very available. And the nice thing about rock phosphate is you only apply it like once every three to five years. Oh, okay. It takes a while to get working, but then it doesn't need to be replenished right away. So okay. after you put down the rock phosphate, um, do you make compost? Do you have a place to buy compost? Um, we uh, mostly we just use um, mulch, you know, like um, uh, chopped up leaves, right? From the uh, from the trees, uh, you know, in our yard, which are mostly uh, hickory and uh, some maple. Okay, well that's not bad. Shredded leaves make a great mulch. But in this case, I would urge you to buy a bag of high-quality compost when you get that rock phosphate. And oh. then put down an inch of that compost covering the rock phosphate. That'll help it become more bioavailable. And real high-quality compost will interrupt the disease cycle. Now, oh. in the spring, um, after whatever blooms you get have faded, um, go out there and give the lilac a good pruning. How tall is it? Oh, it's only about uh, four or five feet tall. Okay. Give it a good pruning. Make sure you remove every dead flower head that's out there. But also cut things back a little bit and open up the center for good airflow. Okay. And if, you know, the what's causing the shade in the afternoon? Um, cedar trees. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to trim them or do anything there. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's probably struggling in its location. So whatever we can do to open up the airflow and prevent disease and improve the flowering, and that's going to be, like I said, getting rid of the spent, flower, uh, spent leaves on the ground, rake those up and throw those away, and then the rock phosphate and the compost this fall and that's your best shot. And if it improves a little bit,
next year after the pruning, then it guaranteed yeah. the year after that it's going to be even better. All righty. And now if, uh, if I wanted to um, maybe take a – should I take a cutting and try a, a better location for this lilac bush? Yes, and you would do that in the spring. What you would do is you would take some nice green cuttings and get just a, 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 regular, um, a regular pot to put plants in. Um, fill the pot with uh, a real high-quality potting soil, an organic one, not one with chemicals or water-holding crystals. And then you would use a pencil to poke a, a deep hole in the potting soil and very gently put your fresh cutting in there. Don't push down with the cutting uh, because the, the cells at the cutting point are uh, prone to damage if you do that. So okay. ma make a hole, drop the cutting down, say three, four cuttings in a 12-inch pot, and then keep that really well watered and out of direct sun. Um, and then when and if you see new green growth on those cuttings, then you start to transplant those out to their own pots and keep them nicely watered, but now they want to be in direct sun, and by the end of the season, you may, you may have new plants. Oh, great. Okay, I think I will try that. Okay. Enjoy lilacs. Uh, I, we had a, a beautiful one when I lived in uh, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Boston, and uh, I remember them just, you know, they, they had so many blooms, they just filled the entire yard and house with their scent. Yeah, sometimes it takes a long time. It took almost 10 years for my lilac to um, begin blooming, but now it's blooming pretty good. But they're, they're very, um, not unhappy, but they're difficult. They're, they're kind of fussy okay. plants, and they really like the sun, and they really like the airflow. Uh-huh. All righty. So I will get some of the rock phosphate and organic um, uh, compost. Yes, and get your potting soil now, too. Because all that potting soil. Yeah, all that stuff is going to be on sale this time of year. Ah, that's right. Okay. All righty. Well, I will certainly give that a, a chance. All right. Good luck, Vic. All righty. Thanks a lot, Mike, and I really enjoy your show. Oh, thank you so much. You take care. Well, they saw it first in Southeast PA, and it's spreading further every day. It's doing our crops and trees a lot of harm. It's an insect species that's not native, reproducing at a very high rate of speed. And folks, that's cause for some alarm. Now, once you dig what I have dug, you'll be hit to this invasive bug. And friend, you'll want to help to stop it spread. And when you see that little critter gonna take a swing like a home run hitter and smash that spotted lantern fly dead. Spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a fly swatter, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, die, die. Spotted lantern fly. And fall from the eggs on a wall tree trunk and scrape them off into an alcohol dunk, and surely that will cause them to expire. When the nymphs hatch from the eggs in spring, wrap your trees with a sticky tape ring, but save the birds by covering with chicken wire. Tree of Heaven is our preferred host. Yeah, that's the tree it likes the most. So if you got one in your yard, chop it down. Don't transport firewood, brush, or debris, because they'll hide in there and you'll never see them. Hitch a ride with you to the very next town. 
Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that we have finally reached the proper time to plant spring bulbs like tulips, daffodils, and crocuses in our beds. But don't go looking for that little lost trowel just yet, because we'll be right back with answers to your composting questions and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, you got questions about compost? We got the answers. We'll let you know what's on many people's minds and tell you whether they are right or wrong. In the meantime, Lots of your right and wrong phone calls at 833-727-9588. Don, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, Mike, thanks for taking my question. Boy, do I need some help. Okay, good. Well, so do I. Maybe we can help each other out, you know. Uh, Where are you, Don? I am in Morrisville, Pennsylvania. We're right across the river from uh, Trenton, New Jersey. Okay, very good. Yes, now I know where you are. All right, Uh, what can we do you for? I grow sweet potatoes. I really like them. Right. I did it last year, and I did everything great until the harvest. And after that, I screwed everything up. Um, when I harvested them, I, I think I probably waited too long. I had some mega sweet potatoes, like you know, two, three pounders. Right. And I washed them off and stuck them in the fridge. Okay, yeah. And after about two weeks, I had kind of mushy, inedible sweet potatoes. Yeah. So you want to hear about the secrets of curing. Yes, please. Because so you... I've done my Google research, and nobody says the same thing twice. Really? Okay. Well, back when I was the—and we're, we're relying on my memory here, um, which is always dangerous. But— What I remember, our standard advice back in the 90s, was you harvest your sweet potatoes. I would not wash them any more than I would wash, quote, Irish potatoes when I harvest them. I wash them before eating. But all all sorts of bad things can happen when you wet certain plants. 
So what I remember being told is to take your harvest and put it in a plastic bag inside a cardboard box on the porch of Funkin' Wagnalls. No, um, (laughs) in a cardboard box that's exposed to high humidity and fairly high heat for a certain amount of time. I believe it was between one and two weeks, maybe it was 10 days, and then they should be stored in a a cold environment, but I'm not sure a refrigerated environment. Can you, well, I was thinking if you jury rig anything like a a cold cellar or anything like that, the mice are just gonna eat them all. Yeah, I have a basement, but that's about as good as I can do. Is it unheated? No, it's heated. Okay, well, you know, I can reach a portion of it that is not, I think. There's an addition onto the house where the uh, space under there is not heated. Right, okay. Well, I, first of all, I don't think you're letting them get to ginormous size was, was any kind of mistake. Um, in your climate, our climate kind of, a lot of people don't actually get sweet potatoes because it takes so long to grow them. So you had them out there right after all chance of frost was gone. Yeah, it was you know, between Mother's Day and Memorial Day. Okay, yeah. Um, and obviously you planted them under the right conditions. Now, as I was saying the, excuse me. Now, as I was saying the high humidity and heat, in the back of my mind is going, well, where's this? Where's this perfect place? And then I said, yeah. and then I where- said, I suddenly realized it's the bathroom where, you know, you take a lot of hot showers and stuff. Yeah. So I think that would supply the humidity. Um, Do you have an electric clothes dryer or a gas dryer? Gas. Okay. They can't be used for this purpose, but if you had a uh, electric clothes dryer, uh, you could vent the exhaust into some sort of like little structure that you make with the box and the bag inside. Um, I used to use the exhaust from our electric dryer uh, to provide some of the heat in my greenhouse over winter. So, it, oh, I, I, I get you. How, how about this? I, I start my own seeds, and so, you know, I have lights and you know, the seed mats, heated seed mats, because I put them on the heated seed mat. I wouldn't, that'd give them the heat, but it wouldn't give them the humidity. If, um, what kind of seed mat is it? Is it a big rubber one or is it one? Yeah. Yeah? It's okay. a big rubber one, about, you know, two by three or something like that. I would be interested in the results if you put a large pan of water, or as we say in Philly, water, um, on top of the heat mat and then put like, a grill on top of that, and then put the sweet potatoes on top of that so they get heat and humidity. Um, I could do that. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you have this good of a harvest next year, you can try it all. Now, in the in the research that you did, did you see the, the thing that I uh, spoke about with the plastic bag and the cardboard box? What they said with the cardboard box is after I do the whole thing with the heat and humidity, mm-hmm. um, wrap it up in newspaper, Right. put them in a cardboard box, mm-hmm. and let them sit until Thanksgiving. 
Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. And one of the things I was confused about was when to harvest. Because well, uh, you know, once uh, I have my sweet potatoes are 100 days, and it's been 100 days. Right. Um, but I still haven't harvested them. The, uh, the other piece of advice I see is wait till after a light frost. That is perfectly all right. That will sweeten them up. But sweet potatoes are like the potatoes I grow, Yukon Golds and Redskins. You can harvest them at any stage. Um, some people especially like the smaller potatoes um, because they're more concentrated with nutrients and sugars. Um, some people like the size of the tubers if you let them go until the vines die from frost. So there's no right or wrong way. I mean, if you want to uh, play around, do two plantings um, far, far enough apart that you can harvest one without destroying the other and do that like at 90 days and see what you get. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. All right, Don. And I'm less confused now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the curing process can be confusing, so don't feel bad about that. Yeah, especially if you did it wrong once. <laughs> well, that's how we learn. That's how men learn. <laughs> yes, yes, and I've been learning a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, we'll die smart. All right, man, take care. Thank you very much. Jason, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thanks. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful fall day out here. And where is out there? Uh, Bryn Athen, Pennsylvania, which is just northeast of Philadelphia. Right, right. What right. a classy neighborhood there, Jace. Well, you know, you try to live in the best place you can. <laughs> that's, that's why I never leave this studio. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jace, what can we do for you? Well, um, my question, um, uh, my, my old raised beds are beginning to rot away, so I'm replacing them. And originally when I put them in, I put landscaping fabric in, which seems to have prevented the worms entirely from going up and down out of the beds and into the surrounding area. Right. But I also have a lot of these, um, you know, sort of the main issue is I have a lot of these fungal uh, diseases, fusarium, I got uh, powdery mildew everywhere. I got, um, you know, orange spots on the hydrangeas and the dogwood. So um, my, my, quite, my original question was, you know, do I just um, just get rid of all the, uh, all the, the, dirt that was underneath these beds and just replace everything with because I want to make the beds go a little deeper than I did the first time but um, you know is that dirt that's un that was underneath the landscaping fabric likely to have the um, the uh, you know the those organisms in it and um, what's the best way to you know present prevent those things in all sorts of areas so well, it's a big question but you know okay um you're, you are going to get rid of the landscape fabric, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that was a sad, sad thing to do at the beginning. <laughs> well, you know, if, if we didn't make mistakes, we'd never learn. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that so, is so true. So does the garden get enough sun? Well, um, it, it gets kind of uh, the sun really starts to get in there uh, a little around noon. Of course, we had the derecho storm go right over our house last year and... Mm -hmm. A lot of trees are gone now, so it's going to be getting that morning sun now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, free tree removal. Yeah, I did. I, I did read one of your old posts about tomatoes and how you want the tomatoes to get the morning sun. And I, of all the plants I planted this year, two that were getting morning sun were the ones that weren't killed by uh, 
by the whatever wilty thing that, that kills the tomato plants. Yeah, I believe you said fusarium. Um, I would guess in your climate it's verticillium wilt. But that's, oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. caused by planting in the same spot year after year. Yeah. Well, that was funny. One of them I planted in a, in a new, uh, I, you know, just made a new area, mm -hmm. the four plants together, and one of them was doing great. It was a cherry tomato plant. We got a lot of cherry tomatoes, and all of a sudden this, this uh, disease just raced up and killed the plant. Um, mm. And, you know, so. Okay. Was, do you, so anyways. Do you water from overhead? I try to always do it. Um, down at the bottom because I know that can cause problems. Yeah, especially if you're not getting sun till noon. Now, yeah. th this may be um, a, a wild statement, but uh, if this garden doesn't get morning sun and you're going to rebuild it anyway, is there a chance of just moving it? Well, um, I'm the the these garden beds are inside of our pool fence, which is uh, you know that's the place where I want to plant the stuff that the deer like. I have been experimenting with plant, like that one tomato plant. I planted it in a completely different location, and, mm -hmm. and one out of uh, the four plants completely died. The other two of the others, the ones that got the sun, are you know way taller than me at this point. So, does uh, does do these plants get overflow of pool water when people are splashing around and stuff? No, not at all. Nothing like that. Okay, um, and since you're planting inside a fence, inside a confined area. I gotta guess that the plants are crowded. Um, they can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the fence area is big, but the guard, the beds are kind of small. They're like, you know, three by six. Right, right. That's and not a bad. You size. tend to want to have more things than you probably should in the in the bed, but yeah. You know. Well, uh, these all sound like symptoms of overcrowding to a large yeah. degree, and that's the hardest lesson to unlearn. But yeah. you know, you can grow the same number of plants. Just put some of them in containers and. Make yeah. sure there's always airflow between the plants, especially if you're not getting morning sun. They got to get that airflow. They can't be falling over on top of each other. Okay, well that's good. That's uh, uh, discipline. Sounds like a good discipline to learn. You will get more tomatoes from two plants that have a foot of airflow between them than from four plants that are all bunched together. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. Now, in terms of. Uh, uh, this coming up well first yes build the beds twice as high i wouldn't worry about the soil down on the bottom because you're going to cover uh -huh. it up with what six eight inches more yeah well basically my plan is to sink the um beds into the ground um uh, about eight inches with some pavers that i've had for years excellent and then put some black locust um wooden beds that, for the part that stick out of the ground. Oh, that's excellent. I love yeah. black locust. It is one of the lesser used rot resistant woods. Yeah. Okay. One of my nephews sells it up. He has a farm up in, in New York and he, he, he sells raised beds. So it seems like a great opportunity. To oh man, I'll tell you, him. I'm serious here. I want to see a picture of, of these beds when they're done. Cause okay. you know, I have treks and I have cedar. I'd really like yeah. to see what black locust looks like in, in person, so to speak. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a photo, definitely. So space them out more. There is a natural disease control, and it's so funny because it, it sounds like I'm making this up, uh, but uh -huh. it's Bacillus subtilis. Oh, yeah, all right. And you might want to read up on that and, uh -huh. and quite possible spray 
the old soil before you put the new soil on top. Okay. Make sure the new soil has lots of compost and lots of perlite. Okay. You, you want it to drain really well. Uh, plants that, you know, stay wet till noon, they need every advantage they can get. Yeah. So you want to improve the drainage. You want to have compost on the top of the soil. And I would have the Bacillus subtilis. Uh, it sounds like a character on Huckleberry Hound. It really does, definitely. Um, <laughs> handy. And at the first sign of any kind of disease, pull off those affected leaves and, and really spray the plants well. All right. And one other thing I'm getting a lot of is powdery mildew everywhere. And I don't know if this year's particularly bad or, you know, I, it's all over the place in so many different plants. Well, I, I, you know, I feel bad um, yeah. because I, I don't <laughs> ever get disease. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's that idea. It's, it's morning sun. Yeah. Uh, and a powdery mildew, is that the one that you spray uh, a milk solution on? That's right, yeah. Did you try that at 10% solution in milk? I tried that, and um, I think that maybe I wasn't on top. Next, next year, I'm going to be really much more on top of it because it seems like this year it's so many different places, whereas last year there was a few places, but it wasn't, you know. Airflow, man. Airflow yeah, is everything. Yeah. And I guess uh, um, I, I, have, uh, I do some composting, but I don't have the volume that I think I probably need to just be, you know, redressing everything right. each year like all the shrubs and everything should be getting compost so i'm thinking of getting some yes so you know, getting a load delivered of, yes you know maybe from primex or someplace like that go to but, our website okay go to youbetyourgarden.org okay click on answers to hundreds of your garden questions and mm -hmm. you'll read articles on how to buy and test bulk compost oh that's a good that's good yeah. it'll be very helpful for you all right Okay. And that Bacillus subtilis, would I get that from Gardens Alive if I want to buy it? You can check around. If you just, uh, you know, type it into search engines till it tells you how to spell it correctly. And okay. And then see where you can find it. All right. That sounds great. Okay. Good luck, man. Hey, thanks very much. And uh, thanks for being a uh, great help with gardening. Oh, thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn everybody who's getting ready to plant tulip bulbs that they are the favorite food of mice, voles, and evil squirrels. So protect those bulbs by putting sharp stones around them in each planting hole, and then disguise their scent by spraying a castor oil-based mole and vole repellent on top, or by mulching the bed with dog hair. But don't go brushing your Bowser just yet, because we'll be right back with answers to your composting questions and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodell Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll answer all your questions about composting. In the meantime, we'll answer some different questions at 833-727-9588. Renee, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Renee. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> ducky always likes to get some movement in there. Uh, where is Renee Gray? So I am great in Hunterdon County, New Jersey. What can we do you for? I am completely new to gardening. I've been living in New York City and Manhattan for the last 35 years, and I'm moving full-time to Hunterdon um, in next spring. Okay. So I am at a complete loss when it comes to gardening or flowers especially, and um, uh, a lot of shade in the front of the house, which is an area that I'd really like to spruce up. Right. So I'm just wondering what I could plant and what I could handle as a beginner. Okay. Um, shade. How, you know, you say a lot of shade. Does that mean the sun don't shine there? Um, I would say on half of the house because of a very large uh, shade tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very little bit of uh, sun. And then the other half of the house, it is morning sun and quickly goes away. Okay. And you're mostly interested in flowers. I would say flowers. And uh, if there's any easy vegetable plants that you could advise for next year, uh, like I said that I can, you know, being the, a beginner, I'm lost. Yeah. Well, uh, there are very few vegetables that will grow without, say, four hours of sun a day. Well, the... I could do that in the backyard. Oh, okay. And uh, how much sun do you get in the backyard? Uh, pretty much uh, all day. Okay. All right. Good. So in the front of the house, you're going to plant the coward's shade garden, the holy trinity of hostas, which are perennials. So they'll come back year after year without you doing anything. Bedding begonias, um, which are annuals that you'll have to buy every year, and impatiens which are also annuals you have to buy every year. Now, you might want to scope out the nearest um, independent garden center, not a big box store. I hate when people tell me they buy their plants at Lowe's or something like that. These independent garden centers have been parts of their community for sometimes 100 years or more. So um, go to a garden center, tell them about your situation, and they may recommend a couple of other shade-loving plants. In the back, what I would suggest you do, um, do you have ownership of the house yet? Uh, yes. Um, I would, right now, in the fall, when the weather is really sweet and you want to be outside, I would build uh, a couple of raised beds. Uh, no, okay. No wider than four feet, but as long as you want. If you're handy, you can build them yourself. But there are many companies now who actually sell kits that are all designed to be just you know, nailed together, screwed together, dropped in the ground, and fill those uh, with a combination of good quality organic potting soil, um, peat moss, milled peat moss with a little bit of lime or wood ash uh, to even out the pH, 
and compost. And that way, when you get to the spring, you can put lettuce out for the early crop. You can grow peas for the early crop. Uh, when they start to fade, you can put in pepper plants, tomato plants, a couple of cucumbers. So what I would suggest you do is go to our website, go to youbetyourgarden.org, and go to where it says answers to all your garden questions, and read a little bit about shade-loving plants. But read quite a few of the raised bed articles. It'll really help you not to make mistakes early on. And if you start out, and you don't want to be working in the soil that's already there. Is it an older uh, home? Yes. We have to presume there's lead in the soil from the paint that was used on the outside of homes over the years. That's one of the reasons we grow in raised beds, so that we're avoiding uh, the soil that's there and kind of making our own fabulous soil. So right. read up on raised beds, and then um, you know you should be able to find your way to springtime crops, summertime crops, and then fall crop. But um, you should have a great time. Don't worry about things that don't work. Uh, don't worry about a little bit of failure. The best way to learn is to fail. But you, <laughs> believe me, I'm living proof of that. Uh, <laughs> but if you establish a nice relationship with your local independent garden center, they'll hold your hand the whole way. Oh, great. Great. I, I have a couple of them around, and I will definitely go right to them. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Good. Well, Ellen Renee, where in Manhattan are you leaving? Well, I've lived in the village all the whole time, and it uh, breaks my heart to leave, but, oh, you know. I know. Yeah. I had a friend who had an apartment at Bleecker and Thompson um, that I used to stay at when I worked for Marvel Comics. And, you know, you could write a New Yorker article just walking down the block. Yes, exactly, exactly. But the city has changed and, you know, just a little too tough to, to live there as you get older. And I'll be retiring soon. And, uh, yeah, not, not a retirement-friendly place. Yeah, and, and you've got those great memories. I do. I do. So I'll be a New Yorker in exile. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you'll always be a New Yorker if you spent 30 years in the village. All right, right. Exactly. All right. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.
As promised, the question of the week is several questions and even some answers. Gee, you get your money's worth with this show. Anyway, Lily in Milwaukee writes, why does my compost bucket smell so putrid? I added some soil and now it smells even worse. I don't have a real compost bin, so I use a five gallon bucket with a tightly fitted lid. Well, this is one of the biggest rookie mistakes in the wonderful world of composting. Kitchen waste alone does not make good compost, it just makes a stinky, putrid mess. If you want to recycle your kitchen waste outdoors, you need a professionally made composter that has a tightly locking lid to exclude vermin. To exclude vermin. Exclusively vermin. No, if it doesn't lock, you'll have exclusively vermin. And you need the bulk of the raw ingredients to consist of well-shredded dry browns, like shredded fall leaves. And yes, the leaves must be shredded. Okay, get over yourself or recycle your kitchen waste indoors with a worm bin. Specialized worms, known as red wigglers, the Cadillac of worms, will turn that kitchen waste into fabulous fertilizer known as worm castings. I recommend using a professionally made bin with a good amount of shredded black and white newsprint, that's the essential bedding, added to the bin to cover the garbage. And yes, the newsprint must be shredded. We move on to Frank in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, who writes, I found a bag of organic tomato and vegetable food in my garage from last year. It has a distinct smell of ammonia. Can I still use it in the garden? If not, can I put it in my compost tumbler with some shredded leaves? No to the garden, but yes to the composter, Frank. In the earliest days of composting, farmers were urged to add chemical fertilizers to their compost piles because people were dubious that a finished product that looked like soil could feed plants. Then came the work of Sir Albert Howard, J.I. Rodale, and a couple of other mavericks, and people soon realized that the miracle of composting did not require chemical fertilizers. In fact, they tended to screw it up but you have an organic fertilizer that has gone somewhat bad, an ammonia smell equals excess nitrogen, but it still possesses other useful natural fertilizers. So you can either mix it into a big open pile of shredded fall leaves or use your quote tumbler. For best results, a tumbler should be completely filled with raw ingredients, again, mostly shredded fall leaves, and tumbled until done. This is a process known as the batch method because continually adding more material to the mix just slows the whole process down. You can even add that old organic fertilizer to an existing batch of half done material as long as you add more shredded leaves to the mix and continue to tumble or turn. And finally, Pete in Wilmington, Delaware writes, I just read your book on compost. I found it concise and very helpful. I have a few questions I thought you might be able to answer. One, why would someone not use 100% compost as the soil in their garden? Well, when I started out, my beds were half compost and half native soil that I'd raked up to help form the beds. And that worked great. Over the years, I followed my own advice to simply add a fresh two inches of compost to my beds every spring. And that worked great for a while. 
But over the course of decades, I found that the beds were getting, you know, for lack of a better word, heavy. That's when I entered into an intense relationship with perlite that continues to this day. Perlite, a natural mined volcanic glass that gets popped into little white ball-like structures in giant ovens, greatly improves drainage by providing little spaces throughout your soil that allow for the passage of air and water. Perlite structure of little cracks and crevices also holds water during wet times and releases that moisture slowly as the soil dries out. Perlite is a godsend in improving drainage in areas with lots of rain, like my Pennsylvania and Petey's Delaware. Petey's second question. If the ideal carbon to nitrogen ratio for compost is between 25 to 1 and 30 to 1, what is the ideal ratio of calcium, phosphorus, and potassium? Well, we're talking apples and oranges here, Petey. The carbon to nitrogen, or CN ratio, that makes the best compost and makes it the fastest is indeed 25 to 30 parts of dry brown carbonaceous material, like shredded fall leaves, to every single part of wet, green, nitrogen-rich material, like spent coffee grounds, horse or poultry manure, or kitchen waste. Calcium, phosphorus, and potassium are nutrients that, when needed, are often applied directly via fertilizers, which are labeled with their unique ratio of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. That's the famed NPK scale. Although chemical companies like to describe things like 10-10-10 as balanced, they are not. No plant wants equal amounts of those nutrients. The actual desirable ratio for the vast majority of plants is 1-3-2. Now, because this is a ratio, that means 2-6-4 would also be ideal. If the plant food in question also provides calcium, that'll be listed separately, and 3-5% is excellent. Note with the exception of calcium, I rely on my compost to provide all the nutrients my plants need. Well, that sure was some good information about composting correctly now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read that article over at your leisure or your leisure, because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, say it with me, cats and kittens, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to make off with my leaves if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. You can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and 
links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when Superman was exposed to red kryptonite and accidentally gave him the keys to the Fortress of Solitude. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. And our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your fascinating photos at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots includes Jazzy Jeff Frederick, the esteemed Eric Werner, Zach the Tackless-Nesky, and gentleman John Flynn. Why is our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, like the White Rabbit? Because he's late, late, late for a very important date. Plus, I caught him trying to nibble on my lettuce last week. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be outside soaking up the wonderful weather of autumn as I pick and shred my leaves until I see you again next week. are falling, the garlic is planted, the lettuce is growing, and if you're lucky, the tomato plants are finally dead. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll celebrate the horticultural wonders of fall. Plus your fallen phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. <laughs>